thanks for downloading Ideas to Change the World, the podcast of the Socialist Workers' Party. Each week we'll be bringing you original content and analysis of the social, economic and cultural questions facing the world today. Okay, well, let's start with the basics. Kashmir, where is it? Kashmir is part of both India and Pakistan and sits between the two countries at the very northernmost end of India. It's an incredibly beautiful and immensely fertile land and ought to be one of the most visited and commented upon places in the world. Unfortunately, it's had the misfortune of being at the centre of three wars and now those wars are taking uh, are being uh, 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 being uh, played out again this time of course now that there's the powers of india and pakistan and to a lesser extent china are nuclear power so the stakes are incredibly incredibly high um they're playing a kind of power game over territory and and, and control over the region but what they're not fighting over is that the Kashmiri people themselves have any say in what happens to the territory in which they, in which they, they live and where they, where, they, where they call home. So no one out of those three countries is fighting to say, let the Kashmiris decide. All of them are saying that we should decide what should happen to, to Kashmir. And if that reason, there has been a long tradition of resistance in Kashmir to uh, in, in, to Indian rule, which dominates most of Kashmir, um, but been quite stubbornly independent, uh, as we'll go on to talk about in the future uh, later on. Um, the hard right government in India, led by Narendra Modi, is launching a crackdown. Uh, at the moment, which is now into day five, I think. Um, the crackdown involves sending 40,000 extra troops into what is already one of the most militarised zones in the world. The 40,000 troops are there to enforce a curfew. They've been used to round up politicians, not just radical politicians, of any description, but quite mainstream politicians, politicians which have been quite friendly to um, the Delhi administration in the past, including its former allies, coalition allies, they've all been rounded up. Journalists have been rounded up. Community activists have been rounded up. So there's a lot of people being thrown into jail. And at the same time, telephones, internet, uh, newspapers have all been shut down. So the mechanisms to have even the most basic functioning democracy have been have been, rem uh, been removed. Um, in all likelihood, this is going to spark a new wave of resistance. Um, what form that resistance takes remains to be seen, but almost certainly there will be outbreaks of rioting on the streets. In the past, what that's meant is the most unbelievable repression uh, of those uh, de demonstrators with you know, the Indian government test, testing out various anti-personnel devices, which you know, in the uh, riots of a few years ago involved uh, firing gunshot that, uh, that blinded 
dozens of, uh, of, of protesters taking out their, their site uh, as one of their particular weapons of choice. So, you know, we can expect not only resistance, but further rounds of repression. And so we're kind of looking at possibly a, a cycle of, uh, of, of, of violence and repression. In addition to martial law, Modi has ended the special status that Kashmir had as India's only Muslim majority state. Um, it's had that um, since 1947, when um, then the territory was most of the territory was absorbed into into India shortly after not, after independence. Now, for most mainstream commentators, this is just yet another unfathomable religious-based conflict. You know, this time it's between Hindus and Muslims. Maybe Buddhists get a mention as well. But as far as they're concerned, this is all just driven by the irrationalities of religion. But its roots are entirely traceable um, and rest ultimately on the way the subcontinent was ruled and then carved up by the British. Um, despite having an overwhelmingly Muslim popula uh, population, at the time that Britain was forced out of India in 1947, Kashmir was ruled over by a Hindu king called Harry Singh. He was reluctant to sign over his kingdom, which was a, called a princely state, one of a number of princely states in, in India, which had a degree of autonomy and self-rule under the British Empire, but nevertheless were part of the British Empire. Um, he was reluctant to sign over his country to either India or uh, Pakistan, but uh, eventually decided, uh, decided that he would throw his lot in with India. And again, you see this pattern here. There's a Muslim majority state with a Hindu king who makes no reference to the people of Kashmir before deciding that Kashmir is part of India. And once his decision is made, that's it. Um, what happens then is that Pakistani forces uh, military forces start to move into Kashmir in the belief that they would be treated as conquering heroes as they arrived in, 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 in the province. And uh, because of this re revulsion of the way India had simply absorbed the, absorbed the state. But instead, what they found is that people were not generally in favour of joining either country. Uh, there was quite a degree of um, uh, demand for, for, for self-determination. And instead, most people, especially most workers, gave their backing to um, a kind of socialist maverick called uh, Sheikh Abdullah, who not only demanded self-determination, but he also wanted radical land reform. And that was one of his key elements of his popularity. He talked about taking lands off the landlords, breaking up and creating uh, common, common land for all poor farmers. Uh, Abdullah uh, absolutely rejected incorporation to Pakistan for the pr principled reason that he thought that Pakistan was a country that was essentially controlled by landlords and he wasn't far wrong. If you look at the, the people who became the ruling class of Pakistan after 1947, landlordism was their pr primary occup occupation. So he developed this uh, organisation called the National Conference Party, which fought for land reform and for self-rule. So that was the one of the dominant strains of politics at the time, certainly amongst workers and, and the poor. Uh, Kashmir is immediately plunged into war after partition 
of India and, and India and Pakistan, and the United Nations brokers a ceasefire in 1949, and the line that it draws on the map divides Kashmir into two parts, a Pakistani part and an Indian part, and essentially that line acts as the, uh, the border today. What it does is it divides farmers from their land, it divides communities, it divides people in a completely arbitrarily, arbitrary way. No one in Kashmir had a say about where this line was going to be drawn. The UN uh, uh, drew it as, as a response to where the, where the military forces, forces were at the time of the ceasefire. So, and, it make, and the division makes peace even less, less likely. Um, the UN also argued that there ought to be a plebiscite of all Kashmiris, a plebiscite is a vote, of all Kashmiris asking what whether they wanted to be part of India, Pakistan, or an, uh, an independent state. Um, but it was not in the interest of either India or Pakistan to allow this, and, so, and because of that, this has never happened. No plebiscite has ever taken place. Neither country really wants the Kashmiris to be able to decide for themselves where, 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 they, where, where they want to be. So when the elections were finally held in Kashmir, uh, the National Conference Party of Abdullah is, was elected with a landslide. Abdullah's uh, uh, declared president, but the result was greeted as a threat by both the main, the main powers. The Indian government moved to imprison Abdullah and workers in Kashmir organised a general strike for 20 days, um, taking to the streets in enormous numbers, and that's when you start to see the first uh, real signs of Indian army repression. Um, you know, they fired on protesters in, in, in killing up to a thousand, and then a second protest erupt, a period of conflict erupts after Abdullah's arrested again in 1965 when he comes back from, from China. And so you have this growing anger with India, which is the dominant power. And again, this leads Pakistan to believe that if, if it invades, it will be treated as though it's a liberating force. So that's what they try. But instead of triggering a pro-Pakistan rebellion, most Kashmiris reject the Pakistani invasion uh, as, as well. And this is a recurring thing. India in particular likes to characterise anyone who resists Indian domination of Kashmir as being pro-Pakistan and in the pay of Pakistan. That's not always wider the mark, but certainly that's not the only reason why people, people have thought there's quite a tradition of, 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 of fighting for independence. By the late 1980s, Kashmir had again exploded uh, in anger and there was a new movement for in in independence and to end the, uh, the line of control which had divided the province. Both India and Pakistan saw the protests as a threat because neither wants the reunification of the state unless they can control all of the state, uh, either uh, country that they, that they don't want, uh, they don't want the reunification. So, in that period, more than a million people marched in protest. And in the uh, Srinagar, one of the key cities in, in, the, in, in Kashmir, the Indian army massacred 100 people in one day on, on one demonstration. And this sparks a new form of struggle with people increasingly believing that the only way now was to start taking up arms in a guerrilla struggle. 
And so the, from the 1980s, we get the emergence of uh, a, a guerrilla fight. Now, some of the fighters were motivated by socialist ideas and wanted independence. They looked particularly towards Maoism and variants of Maoism to, 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 to guide them. Others joined um, groups like Lashkai Tobaya, um, which were kind of uh, Islamicist-influenced uh, groups that were inspired by the Pakistani security services. And in many ways, the choice was being made for people by what arms were available. And if you think about, if you've decided that you want revenge on the Indian state and you want to go and fight, and you have the choice between different militias, some of which are socialist but don't have hardly any guns or any ammunition, and then you have much better funded Muslim groups uh, who, who, do, who do have access to quite sophisticated arms, uh, then a lot of people were attracted to them. Rather than the ideology, they were attracted by the practicality. Um, so half a million troops at that point from India were sent into the state and began uh, a, a period of the utmost brutality. Um, 70,000 Kashmiris were ki uh, killed in the violence that followed. Mass arrests, torture, rape were all, uh, were all absolutely commonplace. Um, unable to break the hold of the Indian state and with the valley's population increasingly weary of war and economically broken, many of the Kashmiri militias then descend into kind of internecine war killing each other to gain arms and money and so on, and it becomes much more wrapped up into, into criminality. And the left-wing fighters are completely marginalised by this, this, this point. And so you get a degeneration of the, of the struggle. At the, so th that's the kind of general pattern that we've seen in, in, in Kashmir since the period of, of independence. Now, I want to say a bit about this, because at the root of this conflict lies in the way the British used divide and rule in India to undermine the growing independence movement. You can't understand any of this without understanding the role that the British had played. The British, when faced with an independence movement that grew in the early part of the 20th century, deliberately cultivated antagonism between Muslims and Hindus in particular in order to try and undermine that movement. So they created separate Muslim electorates in, in, in places like Bengal. Uh, they created separate Muslim universities. They deliberately uh, encouraged Muslim leaders to become part of the British ruling apparatus, um, giving them special privileges and so on, all of which was an aim to, to kind of divide, to divide, divide, to divide and rule. Um, and, you know, that set in motion a whole political uh, dynamic which ultimately led to the partition of India into India and Pakistan. It was that dynamic uh, that, that the British had used that created, cre that, that, that led, to, led to partition. Um, now, despite the fact of that, it, there cannot be work, workers and poor people anywhere in the world whose interests are not more similar than that of poor farmers and poor workers in mill workers in, in, in Karachi uh, and, in, and in New Delhi. You know, their interests are identical. And in fact, the language is identical. I mean, in terms of the script, of course, it's different, 
but people who speak Urdu absolutely understand people who speak, speak Hindi. So this kind of idea that we are dealing with this intractable divide that's based on religion and culture that cannot be overcome is simply nonsense. There were millions of examples uh, throughout this struggle for independence uh, which showed the possibilities. And where we saw the possibilities most was when workers and poor people decided to make the struggle for independence from the British part of the struggle to liberate themselves economically, the struggle of poor farmers and, and peasants and the struggle of workers, because that creates a different logic. It creates the logic of we have to come together, we have to overcome our differences as workers and as peasants in order to be able to, to fight the landlord or to fight the, fight the boss. And that same logic that was able briefly to undercut the communalism of the British in the independence movement is the same logic that we need now. For Kashmir to be free, there's no point looking back to the struggles of the, the, the guerrilla struggles. They ended in a dead end for a reason. It's not good enough simply to say we need to be on the streets, although being on the streets is, is important. We have to look at where power power is, and power is amongst, amongst workers, it's amongst farmers, but power is also about trying to extend the battle beyond the boundaries of Kashmir and to say the oppression that we face today is what you will face tomorrow. If, you, if, if we are facing this level of, of government and state repression now, imagine if you rise up and demand your share of the land or you demand your share uh, of the profits or you demand uh, a, be a, better, uh, a better housing and so on. They will use the same methods that they're using on us today on you tomorrow. And so it's that, that idea of making uh, common cause across the, across, 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 the, across, across the borders. And that, I think, gives us uh, the one possibility of hope in the whole, in the, in the whole situation. It's a, it's a terrible situation. There will almost certainly be, be enormous amounts of blood spill. Uh, uh, but yet they're, 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 the resistance of the Kashmiri people and their particular insistence of not being part of either Pakistan or India, but deciding for themselves how they will rule themselves, ought to be something that gives us some sense of hope. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to read more, you can find up-to-date articles at socialistworker.co.uk. If you enjoyed what you heard and would like to join the Socialist Workers Party or find out more about us, you can go to swp.org.uk. If you'd like to get in touch, you can find us on facebook.com slash socialistworkersparty, on Twitter at swpbritain, Instagram is socialist underscore workers underscore party, and you can subscribe to our podcast on all major podcast sites, including Spotify, Deezer, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spreaker, and iTunes.